Hello everyone, welcome to Teaching Matters. This program is produced and recorded in the studios of WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Earlier today, um, I was able to welcome about uh, 25 new graduate students to the Scripps College. Uh, They were starting their programs. And one of the messages that I had for them is that over the course of the three to four years that they're in our program, I would hope that they find some ways to reinvent who they are. And that's really going to be the topic of what we're talking about today. My guest is Randy Economo, who is a former educator and current CEO of Capstone, a leading educational technology and publishing company that emphasizes equitable access to education. Capstone publishes children's books, literacy programs, and digital solutions that promote children's intellectual curiosity. Randy, thank you for making time for us today. Well, thank you very much, Scott. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here and look forward to our conversation. Absolutely. I I think that, um, you know, starting out with this theme of transformation, um, you obviously started as a classroom teacher in the Glendale area. Can you talk about some of the lessons that you picked up while you were teaching in the classroom as a teacher? Um, And and what of those have stuck with you today that's sort of guiding uh, some of your current work? Wow. Yes, absolutely. I'd love to talk about that. And yes, I'm, I'm proud that I taught at Glendale Union High School District right here in Phoenix, Arizona. And, you know, starting out as a teacher uh, and, and really the career that I had as a teacher has really been something very influential and instrumental to what I do every day as a CEO at Capstone. And I think it starts with, um, you know, just thinking about, I'm still a teacher, right? I'm a lifelong Mm -hmm. learner and a teacher. And and once you set out on a path that you want to continue to learn and continue to help others learn, it's something that can, can change the journey of your life. And so when I think of some of the parallels, so in teaching, I taught high school in Phoenix and that meant that I had 160 students that would walk through my door every single day and I would greet them at the door and they would always come in with questions with, with, um, I would need to make decisions every day really, really quickly. And so I think, you know, being really comfortable with making decisions that I knew to make quickly, um, you know, they'd walk in, can I go to the nurse's office? I need to go to the bathroom. Hmm oh my goodness, I've got to go back to my locker. And you're able to say, yes, yes, no, let me think about it. And I think (laughs) as a teacher, I learned how to make quick decisions Mm -hmm. when it was okay. And then I learned other decisions I needed to think about and and process a little bit longer. I also saw what it was like to, to hold high expectations of my students and realize that the higher the expectations that I would hold, as long as I gave them the support and the tools and the confidence that they needed to meet my expectations, they usually would. And I think in business, knowing that we're setting out to do great things for children, but that we're also a company that, you know, we're mission driven, but we're for profit, holding high expectations um, every day of both individuals in my organization and then our collective work together is something that I really, really um, got to do every day as a teacher. And it's something that I continue to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think about, you know, in teaching all the different shareholders that were 
accountable for as a teacher. So, you know, you've got your students and, you know, I'll probably tell you I've never learned more about sales than <laughs> when I was trying to teach a bunch of adolescents why it was important to write a five paragraph essay with a three part thesis and, <laughs> you know, be strong communicators. And, you know, it was urging them and teaching them how to think critically. And, you know, so you know, give your students as shareholders, but then also, you know, accountable to their parents and to, you know, my colleagues as, um, you know, other teachers that I taught with and my principal. And then there were district leaders and even our school board. And that really applies into business as well. The different shareholders in the capstone community that I am accountable to, you know, really have high results and, you know, a high level of of working uh, together and doing great things. I also know that, you know, as a teacher, um, developing students was what I set out to do every single day, you know, to really uh, do all that I could to develop their confidence, to develop their ability to be independent, to get them inspired and excited about learning. and as a leader in an organization, as a CEO, I know that people are my most important asset, right? Mm -hmm. That it takes amazing people around me to do amazing work. And so, you know, having that, that love of developing people and really knowing firsthand how powerful that can be really does transfer as a CEO as well, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So those are some things that are on the top of my mind. Uh, did that fully answer your uh, question? Yes, absolutely. Can, can you talk about when, you know, there there had to have at some point been a defining moment when you started to think, um, I'm putting words in your mouth, so you feel free to correct me. You started to think, I love teaching, but there's something next for me that is different than that. Can you talk about that thought process and sort of what were some of the things that, you know, led you to pull your assets as a teacher and go in a direction that's related, but but not in the classroom in the same way. Sure. And that was, you know, really a personal journey for me. Um, I love teaching. I did it for really three years and I think it was the highest calling ever. And when I left the classroom, uh, I always had a mindset that I was going to go back, that I was going to leave for a while and learn and grow. And then I was going to come back to teaching. And, you know, I believe that you know, coming back to teaching, I would have a different uh, lens. I would have, you know, some different ways of thinking about life and then I would come back and be even more of a, an amazing teacher. And in the beginning, um, some of the decision was financial. I mean, I, my husband and I both went to graduate school and had student loans that we were mm -hmm. trying to pay off. And then again, I had some friends that were in the industry that left for a while and came back and I taught during a time that it was really difficult to get teachers in the seat, not unlike today. Um, and so we had a lot of teachers that came in from industry and uh, had some emergency credentials that were uh, a reason that they could teach. And I, I looked at them and I learned so much from them. Hmm. And I, I thought, well, getting, you know, doing something else in the world will help me grow and you know, help me come back and be even stronger as a teacher. And so when I locked the door of my classroom in June of 2000, I thought it was going to be just for a short time. But I 
started at a startup um, educational company in Arizona, and I was setting out to help teachers use technology as they were focusing on the standards and planning for instruction. Um, and one thing that I thought was lacking in education back in the late 90s when I taught is I had a bunch of adolescents that were hungry to go onto the internet. They were hungry to you know, have technology integrated into their you know, learning process. And yet I saw a profession, at least where I was teaching, that wasn't very cutting edge when it came to technology. In fact, the teachers at that time were um, filing a grievance because they had to get the daily bulletin in email instead of in their mailboxes that were in the <laughs> office. And so I saw a real disconnect. And so I thought, well, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to help with moving the trend of technology forward. And really, when I got into industry and I was working with teachers and doing professional learning and really actually took a pay cut, if you will, to to do that. And so it wasn't you know, financially re rewarding right away. But I had passion about helping kids learn and helping teachers get engaged in technology. And what happened is I got out here into industry and I went into school districts every day and worked with teachers and, and educators and leaders in school districts. I realized that I was making a bigger difference to more mm -hmm. kids than I was doing in my classroom. And that is why I never went back. I mean, again, mm -hmm. to leave, I had to say, I'm only going to leave for a short time. But then as I got into this side of the market and have worked to be, you know, a trusted advisor in school districts and to really, really do what I could do to, to inspire teachers. And then, you know, went on in many parts of my career, you know, that led me to this station now, but I saw firsthand how it really is a collective impact to make a difference and how there there needs to be companies that are listening to teachers and you know industry leaders out there that are devoted to making a difference for kids and then sharing our skills and expertise with people that are on the front lines in education right now and so it's a really interesting journey um one that i have to pinch myself i mean this is it's really a dream uh and it's a dream to think about how much I learned in teaching that I'm still really applying today. I, you know, to hear you talk about where you started in the early 2000s and then leading forward to today, you know, your vision of trying to help make technology more accessible to the classroom is, is so important. To be able to do that, you have to, I would assume, uh, be able to look forward to where the hockey puck is going uh, so that you can, you know, guide the resources that your company is is providing um, as, as solutions. How do you stay on top of technology in a way that lets you work with your uh, company, you know, to think about what's going to happen next? Wow. I mean, when we think about how quickly the world is changing, I mean, it is just at an exponential pace. And I mean, and it, it, it's not unprecedented, right? Like mm -hmm. my great grandmother rode in a covered wagon and an airplane in her lifetime. And we mm -hmm. know that, you know, life has always really moved fast, but now with, you know, all that is going on with, you know, AI and, you know, opportunities that are out there as, you know, the world is changing and, and knowing that there are people, and that's something, it's interesting. It's something I got comfortable with as a teacher, right? I, in the late 90s, I had 
you know, class classes full of 15 year olds that wanted to get on the internet. And I was bold and I had courage and I realized that my students knew a lot more about what was going on than I had time to commit to knowing. But what I did is I set out to learn every day and to grow and to learn with them. And, you know, the way I stay on top of it now, of course, all the, you know, the reading and the research that I can do and, you know, in the world of ed tech, and it's a small community where we, you know, have a lot of opportunity to collaborate with other organizations and other leaders. I have people on my team that, you know, are technology experts and mm-hmm platform experts and you know a lot of what I do means that I need to trust them to be the best at their craft and to be you know putting the information together and and setting us on the right trajectory and then who I am as a learner is I'm very social and so I spend a lot of time you know talking to district leaders um, about you know not just what's going on in technology, but what they're ready for and the ways they're thinking about their policies and procedures to welcome AI into learning and to realize, you know, the especially during COVID, I mean, technology moved forward exponentially fast and mm-hmm. children and families got connected, but there's also a saturation point where there are so many platforms in the education technology landscape and there's really no amount of reading, no amount of research, no amount of technical skills that can surpass the knowledge that we get from practitioners, people that are leading their districts through learning right now and, you know, spending time word of mouth in dialogical relationships with superintendents and principals and teachers in the classroom is a way that we glean some of our most important knowledge about what mm-hmm. to do next and what direction to go into next. And and then, of course, listening and watching kids and realizing that there's, you know, school looks different today than it did and learning happens everywhere and to be really watching and studying what kids love. Mm-hmm. That, that's always a North Star. Can, can you elaborate on what you mean by schools look different? Sure. I mean, learning happens everywhere, right? We have, we have, you know, a lot of learning that happens in the home and in different centers. But we also, when we look at just the arrangements that schools are in, there's still hybrid learning. I mean, my daughter goes to school here in Phoenix and we we got a note that says, you know, we're introducing flexible Wednesdays where (laughs) your class, your kids can come into school on Wednesday, but you also can teach them at home and give evidence of the learning to their teacher. And I see models like that all over the nation. Some because of budgets are, you know, going to four day weeks and then one day is hybrid and others because parents want flexibility and choice or offering a level of flexibility and choice. And so it's, it really has changed a lot to think about, you know, how learning happens and where learning happens. And Mm -hmm. I think that's all that trend is only going to grow. And so we need to be aware of it. Yeah, that's flexible Wednesdays are a long way from like casual Fridays where you could (laughs) wear jams to school and things like that. Um, You know, education as a whole, and this is a a broad overstatement, but, you know, because of the way that we we have all been trained on creating learning objectives that now conform to state standards, et cetera, um, the the 
progress and the innovation of what it is that we're teaching students is very slow. And mm -hmm. as you mentioned, the the pace of change in technology is very fast. What what do you think are the uh, most important, or maybe another way to phrase that, what are the most critical things that students need to learn about technology now that maybe are not reflected in the traditional canons and objectives that we would find in our, um, you know, our state regulations and that sort of thing? Well, um, that is a question that I think we're going to need to continue to consider, um, you know, right, ideally, you know, right, as I, I think of it, if we, you know, and the, the challenging piece is I'm not sure that what I'm going to answer is profound or it's not written in the standards somewhere, but I think more than ever teaching children to, to check their sources mm -hmm. and to understand, you know, the, to understand what's real and, you know, yeah. what is contrived is something that we've been doing since the beginning of time, right? I mean, when I, it's really interesting to go back and when I started teaching and the internet was, you know, really getting to be a bigger part of teaching and learning, I needed to teach my students just because it was in print and just because they could find it didn't mean that it was true. And so thinking about how to check sources, I think when we look at what's going on in the world right now and how quickly, I mean, just today I was on a um, conversation with some educators and they were uh, asking this AI image creator to create a picture of a cat in the spirit of Van Gogh's Starry Night. Mm -hmm. And in three seconds, this beautiful work of art that looked like a gorgeous painting was on the screen. and. You know, to realize how can we use this for good? How can we use this um, and think critically about it? How can we, you know, synthesize this information? I mean, because information is there. I mean, no longer do we need to memorize facts. I mean, it's so right. quick to call up information. But I think. I agree. And I think that's, you know, I think you're right. I think that's something that all of us that are dealing with either you know, planning lessons or, you know, trying to guide professional development um, is is challenged with because the heuristics that we would have learned to use to check sources even 10 years ago, even five years ago, are no longer all that applicable, right? I mean, that that's really challenging then when you know, when you know what you have to help students learn, which is, you know, being good, literate digital citizens, but yet the tools change so quickly that you you don't have great advice for them. I mean, you know, that's right. it's really challenging. Like the whole the whole uh, issue of of how do you like I know that my faculty are, are confronting the question of how do you tell students how and when they should document use of AI in mm -hmm. a paper or a project that they did. Um, you know, we don't have standards for that yet, but we have to develop them, right? So we really do, and we and schools right now. I know the districts and the leadership that I have the honor of speaking to on a regular basis. I mean, they're in the middle of trying to figure that out and plan for it, and you know, mm -hmm. they there's a lot that has to go on uh, to make it effective, and again, to use it for the good of 
children and and I, and I know it's totally possible if anyone can figure it out it's the great people that yeah. I know are out there leading the charge yeah I want to a lot go ahead I want to shift gears a little bit and and talk about capstone can you can you kind of tell the story of of how capstone came about and I and you mentioned already that you're a mission driven um, organization can you kind of talk about what your north stars are as a, as a company sure. I mean so we our our purpose that is written is about helping students succeed by making learning fun and i'll tell you that the way that comes to light every single day in 1991 uh that our owner who's still our owner today uh, purchased 24 print titles and decided to focus his life on making a difference in the lives of kids and giving something back and definitely being entrepreneurial about what he could do in the publishing world. And you fast forward from 1991. So we've been making learning fun for over 30 years. And we are content developers that focus solely on children. So every single day we publish books and digital resources that children need uh, that help them learn about the world. And so to do that, we want to make sure that children see themselves and their neighbors and their friends and people they've never met before. We want to help children make sense of the world. And we believe learning is for everybody and we want to reflect everyone in what we publish. And uh, fast forward from 1991 when we had 24 print titles, we now have over 10,000 books that are published in print and in digital formats because we're really, really centered on wanting to give children access to content. I mean, we want to make, we want to help eradicate the literacy gap. And we know that if we can put a man on the moon, well-meaning people can think together and, and help children have access to content and help them get excited and inspired about reading more. And so we have, you know, 10,000 titles. We also have a ed tech platform that's called Pebble Go that's been adopted mm -hmm. by more than 30% uh, of the elementary schools around the nation. And our content is published worldwide in different languages. And you can find us on Amazon and in Walmart and uh, you know um, Apple and all over the place. So our content is out there and it starts with really thinking through what we wanna publish and what we wanna do to help kids interact with learning and, and be inspired and experience the learning in new and different ways. And so we're devoted to that. We're mm -hmm. developing a lot more um, resources and a lot kind of a lot of opportunities on our platform for students to have active reading and connected writing. And we've we've just been having a blast for 30 years and we're gonna continue staying in the course. And, you know, kids may be learning about the digestive system, but we're gonna show them through the pukey book of vomit <laughs> what digestion really means. If that gives you a little flavor for making learning fun and, yeah. you know, really trying to meet kids where they are. So uh, PebbleGo was one of the uh, solutions that stood out to me as being, you know, mm -hmm. one of your foundational, you know, products. Can you dive a little bit deeper into what that is, how students experience it, and and how you try to accomplish objectives like promoting citizenship and, and other outcomes with that? 
Absolutely. So Pebble Go was um, created in 2009 and it was born out of this identified gap uh, in education about teaching our youngest children. So think kindergarten through, we have a K2, Pebble Go is for K2 and then Pebble Go Next is for 3-5. But it was designed to really help fill a need about how to teach some of the world's youngest children how to research and how to be curious and dive in and learn more and go deeper. And so some beautiful things about Pebble Go have to do with the simplicity of Pebble Go, how it is consistent. It's so consistent and so easy that a kindergarten can, kindergarten child can log in and learn uh, about a topic. It's all nonfiction, uh, learn about a topic. And then depending on what else they want to learn, they can dive deeper and they can you know, see some uh, extended learning or even books about the topic, some videos about the topic, but it was designed to help teachers and librarians get kids excited about researching. And so we're even teaching kindergarten children. You talked about your uh, students at the university, like when to cite AI as a source. Well, in Pebble Go, we teach a kindergartner how to cite the the resource that they're mm -hmm. using in their research and um we promote you know digital citizenship through everything that we do but we're in pebble go there's a lot of you know social emotional learning and character development for children and uh, with pebble go we teach a lot about social justice and even do voting with children around election time and you know, everything we do is about making learning fun, but but helping to develop children um, as they're learning and as they're developing critical skills of research and analytics and, you know, applying knowledge. Mm -hmm. At my university, we're trying to think about how do we create pi private public partnerships between mm -hmm. companies that interface with our students so that um, our students are gaining valuable experience while they're learning in our classroom and then and then maybe eventually get jobs. And so uh, we also hope that things happens where uh, the partnerships with those companies comes to benefit the university. Perhaps, for example, uh, if we're partnering with a computer company that we would get a break on computers or, you know, something like that. The point is, is that certainly at the university level, the idea of how we as a public institution at Ohio University connect with industry partners is definitely a part of our future, though I think that we're all still trying to figure out what that looks like. Same thing is happening, I think, in K-12, where especially ed tech firms like Capstone is working with school districts um, mm -hmm. to try to you know, benefit the students. And my, my thought is that that's going to become greater, not lesser going forward right. but yet at the same time there's resource constraints uh, especially in public schools um, mm -hmm. and so you know you as a, you as a CEO of an edtech company you know what do you think it looks like going forward in terms of defining how the private sector and the public sector at least in terms of the schools you know can work together in ways that benefits the most people possible or the most mm -hmm. students possible right and you know as you're talking about it like playing through my mind, I I believe that when we can figure that out in a more optimal way, there'll be more that we can do together because I mm -hmm. really think that when we think of the literacy gap and the learning gap and the resource shortage and the changing world, I think that 
you know, it really will take a collective impact to make mm-hmm. a difference. And so, you know, I envision a day where, you know, Capstone is at the table with district leaders and some of the, you know, organizations that support what goes on in the lives of children. And in fact, you know, so thinking United Way and Boys and Girls Club and, you know, business owners that, you know, decide that they want to get involved with what matters in a school district. And I think we can do better together. And I've been part of some collective impact models when it comes to really changing what goes on in the lives of kids when it comes Mm -hmm. to literacy, right? When we think about the research that shows that children need to be reading on time by the end of third grade so that they can start learning to read, right? First they, or they learn to read and then they read to learn. And when they fall behind in learning to read, then they, the learning gap gets wider and wider. And I have been honored to be part of some work in many school districts where some visionary superintendents that have, you know, really wanted to build a legacy with students and, you know, and it ranges, you know, from helping kids learn to read on time to, you know, and then the businesses get involved because they, Mm -hmm graduates that are ready and able to come in and make a difference in their organization. And so I think you're absolutely right that there's a need there that, you know, industry, the private sector and the public sector need to come together and, and work together in a collective impact sort of way to really move the needle in the future. And I know at Capstone, we're committed to, um, you know, giving internships in the summer and opportunities for students to shadow us and to learn a bit mm-hmm. about our industry. I'll tell you that we, we're we on a mission and it makes me sad to realize how many teachers are leaving the profession. And right. I, want, I want our best teachers to stay in the profession and keep developing students. But I'll tell you when, you know, when a candidate that's been in the classroom, you know, comes to Capstone wanting to support the work that we do, I always do a, a double take um, and want to spend time with those candidates and ask my team to really think through the opportunity of hiring them because I think they learn so much about how to make an impact in education because mm-hmm. they've had the experience in doing it. So I'm not sure if I completely answered your question. What I will tell you is when we figure that out, when the public sector and the private sector come together toward the same set of goals and work together, that is when we can really get the job done in a in a much more efficient, effective manner. And I'll tell you at Capstone, we're open to it. We wanna be part of the partnerships. We, we do work, a, across you know a lot of the different districts that we work in trying to encourage the superintendent to bring the community to the table and Mm -hmm. talk about what we can do together yeah i think it's we actually had a recent guest on that was uh, a teacher uh, administrator in a um in athens or in ohio we call them technical schools there's different names from around the country but they you know they serve a multi-district region where students can have an alternative education program that's more based around internships and co-ops and and those sorts of things and it just struck me that you know that's going to have to become more the norm for 
traditional school settings and not just for, you know, technical schools or, uh, you know, things like that. And, and I think you're absolutely right that it works best when multiple, um, multiple stakeholders come together under a shared vision. I think you're absolutely right, right about that. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the last question I have before um, I, I thank you for being a guest is, uh, as you think about, you know, going forward, the needs of students, um, what are some of the key things that you would tell teachers that are entering the classroom for the first time now that they should be looking ahead uh, to try to incorporate to best meet the needs of, of, of what students need to be learning about? Wow, I have not considered a question like that for a while. But I mean, when we think about, you know, still the foundational holding them to high standards and expectations and, you know, helping them to develop critical thinking skills. Mm -hmm. But when we put it in context of what they're faced with now, I mean, I think realizing that you know they are they are faced with so much information so quickly that you know thinking through their attention spans thinking th through you know the different ways that that children are really learning now because of what they've really been through in the last several years i think it it really mm -hmm. causes teachers to you know, more than ever before, meet students exactly where they are and yeah. know them and know how to challenge them uniquely and individually and to realize that learning happens in all kinds of ways. And, you know, as I share this with you, I know it's not really different than the way I was probably prepared to enter the classroom. You know, the foundations of, you know, really meeting students where they are and and really supporting them and challenging them to go farther, I think stands the test of time. Yeah, you're 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 also right though that the way that we go about doing that probably has changed, you know, to some degree because of all the other changes that are going on around us. Right. Well, Randy, I really appreciate your time. Uh, it's it's refreshing to hear uh, someone talk about um, the assets of where we're at currently looking forward rather than sort of looking at it and going we have a big problem on our hands and it really sounds like the the way that you and your colleagues at capstone are trying to create solutions for teachers and, and districts um, is trying to capitalize on you know some of the basic blocking and tackling of making learning fun which i think we all agree is necessary well thank you very much i really appreciate our time it's been a pleasure to talk with you today Absolutely. My guest today was Randy Economo, who is the current CEO of Capstone, a leading educational technology company. We'll have a link to her company and also um, some information about Randy and the text accompanying the podcast. Our audio engineer and associate producer is Adam Rich. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth. We thank you for listening to Teaching Matters. And if you have any ideas, suggestions, or comments, don't hesitate to reach out on our social media. Thanks for listening and have a good day.